First name, Mr. Last name, Glass. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? I see dead people. Welcome back to Chronologically. This is the podcast where we take a look at the full filmographies of some of cinema's greatest creators. My name is Jeff, and with me is Eric. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? It's going well. Um, been a little while since we recorded. I had a had a health issue, but I'm I'm back up and at it. And uh, we're we're uh, right. I was thinking much like uh, you know Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. I could be dead and just don't know it, but. <laughs> If you're dead, then I'm dead. I'm glad you're not dead, Jeff. I'm <laughs> yes, very, thank you. Very happy. It's funny because people listening to the show, they never know when we have these long hiatuses because we record so far ahead of time. But like while we've recorded the show, I had COVID. We were done for like a month during that point. I had a yep. baby. We stopped for like a month. So we bank well ahead of time to to compensate for things like this. But yeah, it's it's been, what, like a month, six weeks since we talked? It's been a while. Yeah, so... But we're back at it, and I'm excited to keep going because I love M. Night Shyamalan. But, uh, oh, I should say this season. This season three, we're doing M. Night Shyamalan. And uh, maybe uh, maybe the honeymoon's over because we watched <laughs> Lady in the Water from 2006. Runs for an hour 50, PG-13, starring, you know, my, my best friend, Bryce Dallas Howard, as well as Paul Giamatti, Jeff Wright, uh, Bob Balaban in one of the most ridiculous characters I've ever seen, and M. Night Shyamalan. Who was Bob Balaban? Was he the critic? The critic. Yeah. Oh, well, we, the we critic. Got, we got to talk about that critic, boy. <laughs> so, so Jeff, what's your uh, what's your history with Lady in the Water? Uh, I don't recall seeing this in theaters. I have seen it before, and was not as offended as others but also let down because I was someone who did enjoy the village and granted it's not as strong as those, those first three films, but I still thought it was a good movie and with good acting. And I remember watching this and it, it did two things for me. It made me a little disappointed in M night Shyamalan, but it also made me really appreciate Paul Giamatti. Like it took him from being pig vomit in one of my favorite films, Private Parts, to being someone like, oh, this dude can act. This guy is good. And um, I guess at the very least, it uh, allows Paul Giamatti to shine as being the, the tremendous talent he is. Yeah, while I'm thinking about it, before I get into my history, you know who he kind of reminded me of in this film? And I don't want this to come off as a slam because I've gone on record as no longer liking this person as much as I used to. He kind of had a Richard Dreyfus thing going on a little bit in this movie. I, yeah, for sure. And I think it's the beard. I think that really comes down to when he's got the beard and the it's kind of the look, right? Yeah, but, some of the mannerisms too, though. Like he, he really felt Dreyfusy to me, you know, um, but not in again a bad way. Um, but I agree with he's you. He's a very likable character. Yes, I agree with you on him in this film, um, in a film that has a lot of things to talk about <laughs> he is on the positive side of things like i really do think that he's extraordinarily good in this movie yeah and it kind of 
disappoints me that he doesn't come back for any other Shyamalan films. And I mean, probably for good reason. His agent's like, we're not doing that again. But um, I, I just enjoy him on screen, and I particularly enjoy this performance. It might be my favorite Paul Giamatti acting piece of acting I've seen. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've seen a fair bit. You know, I haven't watched his like TV show um, Billions or whatever, but um, I just think he's so likable and reserved and believable. Like, he really takes this unbelievable script, and I mean that in a, not a positive way, but the, this difficult to suspend disbelief script, and it gives the most grounded leveled performance that a person you could ask him to do i i agree and and when he does get the opportunity to kind of cut loose at the end it feels very well earned and despite the corniness of the surrounding scene I feel like his performance in that moment is still impactful. You know, yeah. like I still was like, oh, like it got, it got me, it got me a little bit. Yeah. And I was shocked that it got me because by that point, my eyes were rolled so far back into my head. Like I could <laughs> see my brain, but I still, I still was like, man, he's, he's good. Like he got, like, he's very good. And I know the scene you're talking about. And, uh, and like you said, it feels earned. I really, that moment though makes me wish for the movie we could have had. Yes. This could have been a movie about grief and moving on and you know you tapping into his fatherly nature, which he does in the movie, and it could have really hit a harder theme than it chooses to hit. I agree. And, and like the themes God, I don't even know what the themes it chooses to hit are. Like like I mean, we'll get into it, but I I agree. And I had not considered that aspect of him being fatherly in this film because he really is. You're right. Like you, you nailed it. Like he is very, uh, about as unlecherous as you could possibly be when a naked Bryce Dallas Howard shows up at your house. Right. Like, like he is, he is very, uh, like you said, reserved and respectful and, and go put some clothes on please paternal, right? (laughs) Like he turns away while she gets dressed, you know, like he's very, uh, so yeah, that, that nature of his fatherhood really could have hit a lot harder. You're right. Like I hadn't even considered it. I was just like, Oh, look what a nice, what a good person he is. But you're right. He's very fatherly towards her throughout the entire film like there's never a hint of like she gets right up on him for some close talking and you never for one second think like oh is he gonna go in you know (laughs) right because it's not in his character it's not him an already bad movie but uh it would ruin the the best thing about the movie which is the character of cleveland heap uh and of course we have bryce dallas howard who i'm on record as you know having a bit of a crush on um, yeah, she really doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, but sit in the shower no. and be pale, man. Like she is yeah. really underutilized she, in this film. She's given some of the worst dialogue. She's given that we talked about my cherished one in the village, and she has that level of dialogue where yes. she's kind of telling this fairy tale story along with one other character um, who is lives in this apartment complex, but. This is a, a 
not my favorite Bryce Dallas Howard performance by a long shot. Yeah, well, again, like I don't. I, it's not something I think we can fault her for. I think that right. like she just she's working with what she's been given. I think she had a much better role in the village, and you can see why she came for back. Sure. Like, right, hundred percent. Yes, we will do that again. Her agent said, um, and uh, and then you know, like she mostly just shivers through the movie she doesn't have a lot to say she doesn't have a lot to do um she is the object around which the movie revolves but as far as her actually doing anything she, they, i mean they, they actually pick her up and carry her around a lot <laughs> you know like she doesn't even walk for most of the movie so i don't know yeah definitely uh, underutilized talent there um I was happy to see some people, some other people like Jeffrey Wright. I didn't remember him being in the film. I was yep. I'm always happy to see him. Um, I'm glad that he's now a recognizable name and face, right? Like he's worked himself from character actor into you say Jeffrey Wright, and we know who we're, he's not that guy right. anymore. You know, like hey, Commissioner Gordon, you know, he's Commissioner Gordon. Exactly. Yeah. He's uh, the guy from the Hunger Games, he's the guy from Westworld, you know, like he's 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 a a big guy now which is great because i i always think that he's fantastic i'm always happy to see him and stuff um m night does a good job right in this movie too he's not again working with what he's given he feels grounded and so one of the big problems i if we can go ahead and start diving into it is that the movie asks you to suspend disbelief way too much right like we can suspend disbelief to believe that this boy sees ghosts. We can suspend disbelief that this one guy is unbreakable. But we are continuously asked to suspend disbelief just like constantly. Okay, you, you, like if this was just a story of this girl in the water and the monsters trying to get her, and maybe we don't know everything and there's a level of mystery behind it we don't we don't have to keep bouncing back to like this kid reading cereal boxes and all kinds of other horse shit but yeah i i think one of the big mistakes that the movie makes is immediately with that animated segment at the beginning like like it immediately explains the background of this myth you know and it lets uh it lets all of the suspense out of the movie like you don't learn anything as the movie goes on like i think if you if you took that part out and you let it play out with paul giamatti learning the stuff as it goes it's not gonna fix the movie you know like it's still a crazy ass movie but it certainly is going to make it more interesting for the viewer to try to piece together what's going on as the character does. But by like tipping its hand right out of the gate and laying out this mythos, you know, it, it you're not learning as the character does, you know? And, and so I right. think, I think, I think it was a big error. I think it was a mistake. Um, as soon as it started, my first thought was, I bet you the studio made him do this. Like, I, I bet you they forced this down, so, down his throat because it does not feel like a choice I that somebody that enjoys to 
unfolding a story for viewers. It doesn't feel like a choice that person would make. You know? I'm not 100% sure on that. but So I've been reading, and I haven't finished it, but a book called The Man Who Heard Voices, which is all about M. Night Shyamalan in this film. You got that book? To... I read about that book, and I only found out that it, it existed yesterday. And so I didn't have, like, I was like, oh, shit, I wish I had read this. I'm so happy you're reading the book. Go ahead. Talk <laughs> yeah. about the book. Well, so it's it's written by someone who knows him and the whole story of him trying to sell this script. So before now, he's done everything for, I think, New Line, which is owned by Disney. Um, and, you know, he wrote the script, wants to go. He kind of like his idea was, I want to make a, a movie that will have that Disney logo at the beginning, you know, where the castle and the little yes shooting star and all that. And this is his kids movie uh, because it's notably a bedtime story that he's told his children so he's written the script you know he's coming off of the village which is his first hiccup but everybody's still high on him right yes Um, and because it wasn't that bad of a hiccup and so he's got the script he's turned it into his usual people the people who uh, always read his stories at Disney and they went to a dinner and all of those like executives and editors and all the people who make those decisions were like, we don't get this. <laughs> we don't get this at all. Are you going like down to like, why do you have this in the, in the script, a really large Asian woman? How are you going to cast that? Where are you, you know, like just basically shit all over it. And it really made him depressed because he believes in this script. And still, before I think, still, like he still believes in this script. Yeah, but probably. Interjection. But he has come out and said that of of all of his movies, if his house was burning down and he could only grab a couple, this is one of the three that he listed. Uh, but there's okay. I know which three I would get, but um, and that's fine, and it means something to him and his children or whatever. I, that's fine. You know what? Great. But so after they said, we aren't going to make this, you need to write a different script and come up with something else. He says, well, I'm going to not shop around because he doesn't want to piss off any other studios, but I'm going to just go to Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers picked it up. And so I don't and I haven't finished the book, so I don't know if that scene was added you know that opening yeah, or not? Yeah. But um, he very much was just wanting to do this as is, and that's why he switched to WB Warner Brothers and sold them the script for a hefty like a million dollars, and then uh, got to direct it and all that other stuff. So I don't know how if Warner Brothers kept making films with him or not, but, uh, you know, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to watch the logo at the beginning of The Happening to see, or your book will probably tell you towards the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you an update. Yeah, big budget. I mean, for a movie of this type, pretty big budget. It was a $70 million movie. I, I read that uh, part of the, the major pieces of the budget are that they built the apartment complex and then they built houses around the apartment complex on like a warehouse ground. So it's all there. They didn't go out and like hunt for the cove. They just made the cove. Right. And yeah, that, which that is cool. 
was the lion's share of the budget. And I kind of dig that. It reminds me of when we did a rear window with Hitchcock, you know, like just the audacity of building this giant ass thing to film your movie. Um, you know, it's and not it's, to be cliche, but the apartment complex is certainly a character. It's filled with characters. and Yeah, yeah. And that inky black pool. I don't know where you're going to find that anywhere else. Um, so, okay. Let's <laughs> let's just start to get into this lunatic mythology. Because, like, watching it, like, my, my wife watched the first half of this movie with me. And she then tapped out. The, the baby, it kept scaring the baby. Like, it kept making oh, okay. loud noises and waking the baby. The sprinklers would kick on, the baby would wake up and freak out. And so it was just like, finally, she was like, I got to take her out of the room. All right, cool. So then the next morning, she was like, so what happened in the second half of the movie? And I was like, oh, Jesus, I have to explain this? <laughs> like, <laughs> the second half of the That's movie like- is bonkers like i gotta because i mean that's where all the stuff with the protector and the healer and the guild and like all that stuff happens in the second half of the movie and it was just like oh my god how can i begin to explain this so initially like and then and then she she asked me like is this a real korean myth or did he make all this shit up and I was yeah. like, you know, I don't know. So I went and I looked it up. He made all this shit up. And he just right. decided to say it was Korean. So all the, like, number one, if you're picking another name for mermaids, why did you choose Narfs? And so to make it even further, why did you choose Scrunts? Because Scrunts is a terrible word. That is a terrible word. If it's hard it to say, da- and it sounds it, an awful... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does sound an awful lot like something else, but also it sounds like it, a scrunt is something you would pick up and pet. Maybe it's a... It's not a fierce creature. I think a you know? scrunt is something you do on the toilet. I went... It was, I was okay. in the bathroom <laughs> scrunting for at least a half an hour. <laughs> like, Fair enough. <laughs> I, I yeah, and, and I think so. This is one of those movies that's just filled with things like that. Like you can't pick one thing and fix that, and then it fixes everything else. It's just a constant barrage of bad choices. And what other movie do we? That I said that about nineteen forty one. It's it's just bad choice after bad choice. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean the the rules the like. It just keeps coming up with more rules and then it has rules for what happens when they break the rules and in then because that's when the tree monkeys come when you break with when Where the, did they even break come the rules from? the tree monkeys come and they beat but they up don't the even scrunt. come to the end they beat them down like, prison style for, <laughs> for breaking for, the rules. and it was so deus ex even to me because like i think they mentioned them like, where are they? Why aren't they coming to help him, you know, prevent this monster from breaking the rules? Right. And they only show up at the very end, out right. of nowhere. Why is he like, breaking the rules? Oh, it's because you're the Madam Narf. The Madam, like, oh, it's, you're the special Narf. You're the narfiest right. of them all. It's kind of like Smurfy. <laughs> she makes, Smurfy. She has, she has Narfberry <laughs> Crunch cereal that she makes. Oh, uh, yes. So, like, the, the whole mythos of the thing like i can i can see where in his mind he has this entire universe formed 
and it all makes sense in his head. But communicating that to the audience is like a nightmare. And the method that they choose to communicate it to the audience through the old Korean woman telling him is ludicrous. And the Korean woman has to pass it through her Rufio-looking granddaughter, right? Hey, who looks at Rufio. What, so, did you see that toe, hair at the beginning? Rufio. She did, yes. <laughs> She's a fan of the film. She knows how to crow. So, uh, like, that's ludicrous. And then the most ludicrous is when she tells him that he has to be an innocent in order to hear the story directly from the grandmother. So he goes into the grandmother's apartment, <gasps> eats cookies, drinks milk, and leaves the milk on his mustache, and Which lays somehow... down with his hands between his knees and begs for a story. Okay. It's like, what the fuck is happening Listen. in this movie? <laughs> I kind of liked that. In a, in, a, in a stupid sort of way, I kind of liked what Paul Giamatti had to do. Like, drink the milk and go... Mm, I can use the story. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it's, it's in a film that I've already kind of checked out on story wise where it didn't actually like none of any one thing other than the this one moment really like was like oh like it just was a series of moments like that yeah but i also thought it was crazy that he drank the milk and was told not to wipe the milk out of his mustache and as he lays down, it looked like there was more milk in there. Like they just, it, the milk was growing. <laughs> they went over there with a paintbrush and painted more <laughs> Elmer's glue more on his mustache. And then he has to run around over and over and over again to different characters in the apartment building and tell them the whole story. And nobody throughout the movie nobody. is like, this shit is crazy. Like you're crazy. No. Like how nobody do you know that's not a crazy it. person in your shower? Like nobody says that. Like they're all just gather around her, you know, and you know, it's, it's madness. And how many times does he have to tell this story? Well, he's got to tell it to the guild and he's got to tell it to Jeffrey, right? And he's got to tell it to, you know, like the, 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 the five daughters and he's got to tell it to, you know, every ethnic stereotype has to hear the story. So like, I don't like it's, it's absolutely insane. And, and the fact that they all buy it is like immediately, immediately buy it, buy it and agree to participate in this lunatic mythos ceremonies and distractions and the scrunt. And like, they all just go for it. And I just, it's really unbelievable to me. It's, it's so problematic and weird. I agree that, and I, I think that contrast to the viewer, right? Everyone in the movies buying in, but the viewers never do. Like we just can't. And I almost feel like it might have been better if there was someone that would be like, "This shit is crazy. What the hell are you talking about?" Like even the critic could have been the guy. But, you know, he ne I think he knows that the critic wouldn't buy into it, so he never brings it up uh, in, in any other regard than under the guise of, like, how plots work and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, so let's talk about the critic. Yes, the critic. For a minute. Like, first off, the casting, spot on. Oh. This guy, as a critic, smashed it. Yeah, I, I agree, but I, 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 I have a hard time with the way the movie kind of vilifies and blames the critic for things that are going wrong, because this guy is not a bad guy. 
Like, no, like he's a critic. He's a critic. He is portrayed as a the worst monster. of the worst. <laughs> a monster. Like, but if you think about it, like do he, that. He comes into they, this he, new apartment complex. He's given a tour by the weird super who insists on introducing every other person in the apartment complex, which is just a parade of weirdos. Like the guy who has worked out half of his body. And here's the guy (laughs) who doesn't look at us and come out of his apartment ever. And here's the weird cat obsessed lady, you know, like every single person that go right through the tray. And the guy's just like, come on, dude, get me to my apartment. Like, what the hell is this? And he finally gets to his apartment. Then like the super shows up two days later and with no context starts asking him about story tropes, right? Like, so if you had to find somebody who was a protector, what, what narrative things would you look for? And da, 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 da. And this guy in good faith doesn't go, Hey, lunatic, get the fuck out of here with your idiot questions. (laughs) Like he gives legitimate and ultimately correct answers. Ultimately, what he says is right. Like, and it's Cleveland who misinterprets what he says and chooses the wrong people. But what he actually says is the real information. Then they use him as an excuse to throw this insane party. And he comes down to the party and is like appropriately thankful for them throwing him the party. He's like, this is really nice. Like, this is really cool. And all he gets in return is eaten by a fucking scrunt. And, <laughs> and somebody saying, what kind of person would be so arrogant as to assume they know the intention of another human being? That's what they say about him yeah. after he tried in good faith to help after having to sit through a shitty romance movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like it, well, he even goes so far to say it wasn't for me. It, yeah, exactly. He, he, he is so overly vilified by this script. Like they want you to dislike this guy and they give you zero reason to really dislike this guy. You know? and, and and the worst of the worst is that he's a movie critic. Like that was one of the things that the Disney exec said. You can't kill a movie. Crit- you can't do this. Like you, your movie is going to be reviewed by critics and in newspapers and going to affect your ticket sales what the fuck are you doing and it's a very deliberate like after the village i guess it was his way of taking some modicum of revenge oh but it goes so much further than that because then there's the m night character right and and, and right and critics absolutely did what did they did not have to read deeply into the subtext to get what was going on here. Right. Like, and and that's part of my problem with this movie. I wrote on my notes, text versus subtext. When you put everything right up front in the text, nobody's even going to bother trying to read into the subtext when it's as upfront as it is in this movie, critics suck and we should kill them. And then cast yourself as the writer, the creator of something that will go on to save mankind, right? Right. Like he's not just writing like a good book or a bestseller or something that's going to end homelessness even. No, he is writing something that is going to save mankind and he'll never live to see it. 
It's going to sit on a shelf for 30 years until the correct person reads it. And then they are going to make moves and they're going to become president and save humanity. Right. They're like the anti Martin Sheen in the dead zone. They will go on to become the best president of all time oh, as a result of callback. this majestic, <laughs> good this callback. majestic work of fabulous art created by M night and he fucking cast himself like the biggest mistake. And I'm he's not bad in the movie. He is okay in this part. He's fine. I really like his playfulness with his sister. I thought was really believable. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's on the new uh, sexy show on HBO. Yeah. She's she's really good in that too. Um, I was very happy to see her, but yeah, like he's, he's not bad in the role. So that's not why it's problematic that he cast himself. It's problematic because he cast himself because of what this character represents in the story. Like he casts himself as a Messiah and then he has like a, 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 a martyred Messiah, a, a martyred Messiah who knows he's going to be martyred. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he, he casts like, the critic as the big bad, you know, and it's so surface level. It's so obvious to anybody watching this movie that they're just like, Oh dude, fucking come on. Really? (laughs) Did you really like, did you really, really like, it's just like, like we talked about, uh, in, in our, uh, 1941, the opening scene where, the next movie oh, Spiel- Spielberg he parodies his own Sp- movie. Yeah. Yeah. He parodies yeah. his own movie in the next movie. And, and, uh, I, I think I have used the term several times sucking his own dick. And this is like the longest, slowest, most luxurious self blow. <laughs> Reverse 69. Yeah. <laughs> like it's unbelievable that it, it, and so of course all the critics were just like, arrogance hubris you know blah da, 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 da. and i can't say they're wrong right and it, it makes it so that if there is more going on beneath the surface of this movie if there is a greater analysis to be had and a deeper meaning everyone is so distracted by the bullshit on the surface level no one's going to bother digging deeper. I hunted far and wide for analysis. Okay. I, I always like Google analysis, you know, film name analysis. I found one online and like, usually there's like 90, you know, like even the smallest yeah. films we've done. There's so many, you know, like college students who have posted in their blog about whatever, you know, and, uh, especially like nonsensical movies. Like they love, breaking that shit down yeah and and instead there's just one critic after another online just being like oh this fucking guy you know and, <laughs> like I, I i've we have really like given a lot of time and acknowledgement to the stellar run that he's coming off of like even including the village which we both like and don't think it's as good as the other but we both like it it is like yeah. a legendary run of films that he's coming off of and i can't imagine a bigger way just to shoot yourself in the foot just with a fucking shotgun like he didn't just shoot himself in the foot he like blew his foot off with this yeah. movie like and drinking his own kool-aid oh my god yes and, so, and i always feel like his 
you know, maybe after signs, he's like, look how much I was in this movie. I don't know. Like, I feel like especially I'm a big fan of director cameos being a Hitchcock fan. You would expect that. And I like that he cameos himself in almost all of his films. Me too. Uh, which the only one wide awake, I think, is the only one he's not in. And I. But he's starting more and more to make himself a prevalent character. And I'd rather him just be the attend the 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 field ranger in the village you know yeah it's <laughs> Just, not it's 100 percent not that he's in this movie and it's not his yeah. performance it's who he cast himself the, as yeah. you know make yourself the guy in the room who doesn't talk to anybody that's I an think appropriate should, size role you know make yourself the that guy in, i actually think that the the guy who comes the animal control guy he's in for one scene Says a couple things and you never see him again. Yeah, the animal control guy would have been perfect. Speaking of the animal control guy, hi, I'm Paul Giamatti. I'm talking to animal control guy. The sprinklers go off and we just stand there in the sprinklers <laughs> and continue our conversation. Like nobody makes a run for the sidewalk. They just stand there getting wet. When the sprinklers go off. It was just a weird, it was a strange yeah. choice, I thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that I, I think 100%, that's why this movie tanked. Like, I mean, beyond all the nonsense, which, you know, there would have been some audience for. I and think- there's still, like, I watched this on, it was free with ads on YouTube. And there's comments like, ah, beautiful movie. I don't know why people don't like this. So, and again, people are allowed to like what they like. But, yeah, as a Shyamalan guy, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I just think I think it made everybody's cringe meter go, you know, way over into the red. And that was it. Like, if Do you, you look- think this is the movie where people start laughing when his name comes on the screen? Or is it after the happening? Oh, no, this. I think this is it. I think, yeah. like, The Village, which, you know, got a mixed response. And then this, which just was, like, it got such bad word of mouth. Like it tanked in its second weekend, and by its third weekend, it was just like gone, like it didn't exist, yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, I think this is really the one. It's 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 such an eye roller, like it just it absolutely changes the dynamic. And and not to mention, you know, like I'm sure, and I'm okay, let me finish the sentence. I'm a hundred percent okay with him moving away from the twist. You can't oh, expect for sure. You can't expect the twist out of every film, and I think and I, that had I, he I look pigeonholed himself into that too much, like that that would have been problematic. So it's okay to move away from the twist. That said, I think a lot of people probably showed up for this waiting for the twist and didn't get it. You know? Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I, I also agree. Like I think, like I say, split. You know, there is a twist, quote unquote, but without that, that movie is still superb. And in his most recent film, spoilers, there isn't really a twist. Um, and I, I still like that movie, too. But, uh, yeah, I. He knows how to do not, suspense. Like, he he can manage suspense. And his, just his cinematography is so good. There's so many just beautiful shots in this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the suspense shots are really, yeah. really good, too. You know, like. The scrunts, as stupid as they are, are appropriately threatening, you know, and when uh, 
when they go dragging poor Narf off into the grass, you know, it's kind of like, oh shit, look at her. Like, they, they, like really yeah, dragging her. Yeah, that was a good moment. <laughs> they yeah. tied her to a truck and dragged her through the grass. Um, so yeah, like the, the, the suspense, if taken out of the context of the rest of the movie, it's well filmed and it, it works well. You know, it's just that the context of the movie is just so batshit. Like, it's very difficult to buy into anything. Yeah. Why do you think he didn't just call her a mermaid? Because it, um, he had to make it his own. I, I think it's the only explanation. Like, because someone else has come up with mermaids. Like, she's a mermaid, right? Like, she is such I mean, a mermaid. She doesn't have a tail. But she has, like, a cove a cave down there full of snarf flats and dingle hoppers like she's like exactly (laughs) that's right out of the little mermaid you're totally on point with that i was so shocked when i saw it i was like where's her statue of prince eric what's going on here you know like that whole segment is ridiculous ridiculous the breathing out of the cup and like he's down there to find her glittery poop ball so she can rub it on her legs to heal her cuts and uh it gets stuck behind the door which he pries open with an eye none of it works like the whole thing is just bonkers that she's got this hatch in the pool that leads down into her mermaid cave uh and it takes this sort of mystery of her being able to teleport like through water like if she's in water she can kind of go home but no she's actually in the pool for who knows how long right you know right living down there yeah under the pool how did that cave get there like did she dig the cave did the eagle drop her in the pool and then she just like burrowed through the cement but nobody could see it because it's dark in there why is the pool so dark what (laughs) what's going on (laughs) with this pool situation it's very problematic to me very problematic my least favorite part among a film filled with parts I don't like is the kid reading the cereal boxes. Mm. And even that scene where he's sitting there and he's looking and he's saying this nonsense to everyone and everyone's like, yes, we buy this completely. The part that really makes my butthole clinch up is when after he they tried the healing ceremony with the guild uh, or with uh, they actually got the five sisters or seven sisters and the person he thinks is the healer is there and it's not working. The little boy comes in just perfectly timed. I read it wrong. I'm new at this. I do it. What? I'm new at this. I, it's him, not her. The Cocoa Puffs misgendered the healer. <laughs> and I just was that was when, like you said, you could see your brain because your eyes are rolling so hard. Well, the whole thing with him I, reading the cereal boxes. I don't know how like, in my Chamalan did this, right? This guy wrote six cents. How did this happen? Mm, oh, drinking <laughs> the Kool Aid. I know, but oh my god! I mean, okay, so you do have. I mean, there is there is something to be said for uh, someone getting so much praise that they start to believe their own hype right and i don't want to i mean i i'm not going to be so arrogant as to presume the intentions of another human being oh good (laughs) but that would make you the worst person on the planet (laughs) 
But I will say, I, I mean, if he went through the bother of making this, he must have thought that it was going to fly, right? Like he, oh, he thought he that put it was going to money up. He put up like, um, he wanted to put up. I'm not sure if he totally did or not, but in the book, it mentions that he wanted to put up half the money because if he does, he gets half of the take, right? Like he gets 50% of the earnings back. And so he thinks this is going to be star Wars and he's just going to be able to live off of this for the rest of his life because he forked over half the money to make it. Um, so he thought it, this was it. This was yeah. Like to tell you, buddy, nothing from nothing. Ain't nothing. (laughs) It just, (laughs) yeah. Like that's, yeah, it's something like I, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 very unbelievable. That, like you can see why the Disney people were at the dinner. Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, yes, like, you because can see everything them, like, before to each this. other at the table. Like, did you read this shit? Did you see the part about the scrunts? Like, <laughs> yes. So there's a really good part in the beginning of the book where he talks about getting away from Harvey Weinstein. Um, he wrote the Sixth Sense knowing that Weinstein would turn it down. Like he knew that Weinstein is an idiot and that he, it would turn him down and this would allow him to go to Disney and not have to worry about Weinstein. Um, and in a lot of ways he, yeah, in a lot of ways he thought he was going to do, I, I, I get the impression in the book. He didn't want to hurt Disney. He was kind of hurt that they didn't see it. You know, he thought for sure that this company he's been working with would back him up, but you know, they rightly said no, and they they took a risk because now this guy who's been churning out hit after hit is now working for another studio. But they took the they made the right call, right? You know, they're like, no. well, yeah, they did make the right call because it took him ten years to come back to start making. And, and, and when and he came back, yet- he was working on a much smaller budget. Like his none of his movies are ever going to make a hundred, hundred, two hundred million dollars again. You know, he's working on a much smaller budget, which makes those films successful. Uh, you know, in respect to how much he's spending on making them, right? right? Um, so and, and now I, he's kind of regained his his stature as a filmmaker, but still nobody's throwing him a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, you know? and he like, still gets laughs at the theater right like his name pops up and people are still like oh nope i'm out where i'm still like yep i'm in well i think now now he has a i don't want to call it like a cult following but now he has a group a subset he has an audience he's built he's won back a section of his original audience who are now back on board and are like oh yeah 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 this guy yeah i'm gonna do this you know like i and i'm gonna maybe be a little more forgiving you know, <laughs> for sure. Like, I'm not expecting every single one of them to not get out of the park anymore, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, the 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 fall from grace is real with this one. Um, yeah, I wanted I wanted to talk about that a little bit, you know, in context of like the questions that I had. We've yeah. already talked about some of them, but uh I listen to Mark Maron's podcast a lot, uh, WTF, where he interviews different um, celebrities and comedians and so on and so forth. And I listen to it not necessarily for like the people that are on it and the conversations, but the overall themes that come out of it, um, because it's a very it's it's a great way to 
it's a great look at humanity and like the commonalities of everybody's experience. You know, he gets these people from yeah. all different walks of life and these people like, like very famous, you know, crazily like he's interviewed successful. Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, Mel Brooks, Brooks and like, like really, really successful people. But then you like, he gets them talking about their childhood and so on and so forth. And you start to see these themes. And one of the things from his show that has always stuck with me is this idea of humbling that in order to grow as a human being, you have to be humbled at some point, like a yeah. fall from grace is piece of the arc in life you know and uh and not necessarily everybody but if you want to be not if you want to be a good human being it's just a commonality that a lot of good human beings have you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like because it it really like kind of kicks your teeth in and takes your ego away and it makes you kind of start from scratch and kind of self-examine your own life and the choices that you made and so on and so forth. And this movie got me thinking about that because this is obviously what you would call like a swing and a miss, like a big yes. swing. Like I'm gonna, it's, it's like the bat babe, went in the babe stands, Ruth pointing out of the, <laughs> you know, pointing out of the, out of the stadium and then hitting the catcher with the bat. Right. <laughs> like, it's a huge swing and a miss and and in many ways if you look at the arc of m knight's career this could be like the beginning of that that humbling you know and like i think that the arc that we're following here is fascinating in that way because uh you know like like we just said you know there's this down period i mean it even gets worse because we're going to move into the big budget period where he's like spending lots of money and making flops um before he starts earning you know respect back um, yeah, and so my question to you is: Have you ever had a huge swing and a miss? Have you ever had a humbling oh, yeah. moment that you can look at that kind of made you reassess and kind of redefine what you were doing with your life? <laughs> it's a Several. super personal question. I'm sorry. Some of, some of them are too personal to get it into, but one I can think of is is from a professional point of view. I I've always. My dad has always been like, you'd be great at sales, son. You'd be great at sales. And I'm like, I don't know. So I'm working for the company I work for currently, and I've done a lot of things, tech support and various things. So a sales position opens up. I'm like, everybody around me is like, go for it, dude. Like, they make a lot of money over there. You'd be great at it. And, you know, my dad's saying, you'd be great at it. And even, like... My own, I don't know if you want to call it self-doubt or maybe more accurately self-knowledge that I am not a salesperson. I was like, no, I shouldn't, but I did it. And I was there for about six months, almost got fired because not no other reason than not meeting my sales numbers. And uh, maybe not ruined my career, but certainly would have ruined it with the company I've been with for so long uh, and was humbled to be able to go back to a position I held previously and was just happy to be there, right? Just, oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) And I I mean, that's as, and there are others, but nothing, you know, I think that fits the most is where I just was like, I am, because I I am a really good worker. I'm just not a salesperson. And And that was just me realizing what I've probably known all along. Yeah, I I also I I 
detest sales and i've been in many situations where i've been like thrust into that position um before my current career i'm in software uh stuff but i was a retail manager for years and years you know 20 30 years and i've been thrust into sales positions as a result of that and i am deeply uncomfortable in that position like that is just not me so my my the one that i was thinking of myself was also career-based so uh i like i said i was in retail management i went through a series of different places and through circumstance i landed as a store manager at avenue which is gone now but it was a plus-sized women's clothing store and that is left field for you oh yeah yeah it was it was very left field but uh, a previous boss went and worked there and what and brought me over was kind enough to hire me and i ended up being there for six years and i ran a number of different stores and you know got to know my customers i still know like people all over the city because i worked all over the city selling selling clothing to women uh but i i don't think it's any stretch to say i hated it i just hated it it was <laughs> yeah. like a really bad fit for me but I, I stayed and stayed because you know i was comfortable in the job and i was okay with it so uh it wasn't any secret that i hated it and i started looking to get out of it eventually and i got hired by a company uh, called DVD Play, which was the exact same thing as Redbox. The exact okay. same thing, right? And my job was going to be, I was going to cover like half of the state of Ohio and I was going to be like the regional manager over the people who went out and changed the DVDs and the things and so on and so forth, right? So excited to get out of there. Like after all those years, I was going to make my escape and I sent in my resignation letter to my boss and my boss's boss. And it wasn't like, haha, I'm leaving, but it was definitely like, I'm finally going to move on. Da 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 da. The day before I was supposed to start, the DVD play company went under. They were bought by Redbox or whatever. And they right. called me and they were like, sorry, dude, no job. And I had to go back to <laughs> Avenue who had not yet replaced me and be like, can I still work here? <laughs> because, you know, I had kids and rent and, you know, like you can't just stop. And, right. and man, did it just, just like knock the wind out of me, man. I was devastated. Like it was really, you know, one of those, it made me never count my chickens ever again. You know, yeah. like I will never be comfortable moving into a new situation. I will never be secure in my employment. You know, like I, I always, it made me learn that I needed to have a backup plan all the time, you know, yeah. and, and not to make huge leaps until I was absolutely sure of something. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a learning situation and of course you know there have obviously uh been personal moments of that nature as well you know that i've i've been married three times i obviously have been humbled <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> in a number of different ways um but yeah yeah i don't know it was it's it's just interesting uh that the way that theme kind of applies to this film in this career arc and, and how fascinating the career arc really is. Uh, when we looked at Spielberg, he didn't have this, right? Like there have been ups and downs. There were some pretty big misses. He never had a movie so bad. People were like, nope. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah no like, one laughs at his name on the screen. They're like, oh, shit. You know, Spielberg. Yeah. I mean, it, the, there is a guy who's been able to maintain his stature regardless of the quality of film that he puts out, you know. Um, but man, woo. What yeah. a what a stinker the lady. He also <laughs> outside of 1941 never I, I mean this is in a lot of ways the 1941 and we we say you know is it better than Wide Awake and Pairing with Anger? Yeah. Probably still going to rank above those for me just on the strength of Paul Giamatti most likely but uh this is definitely that just long list of bad choices buddy. Yeah, ending with the eagle. The one good choice I can say is that when it comes time for the eagle to pluck her up and take her off into the sky, putting the camera underwater looking up and not actually showing the eagle yeah. pick her up in her in its talons and carry her off like King Kong, you know, like little wiggling arms and legs, like the choice to not do that as a special <laughs> effect was the right choice. Like yes. when I saw that, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, thank, like if we're going to have a big eagle come down and take her away, at least for the love of God, he did not choose to show it. So yeah, that's wise. Yeah. I mean, it's a no for me, dog. I just, <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Um, no, I'm done with this one for life. For yeah, sure. I just, there's just so much that's tough to get through despite there, there's really funny moment. Like the opening scene with Paul Giamatti killing this animal that's in there. That was so funny to me. He's like, all right, you're going to want to turn away. And he's just jamming and trying to kill it. And he can't quite get, I was rolling like, yeah. yeah well, you know, and I go into every Shyamalan movie, pretty optimistic. I'm like, I'm going to be seeing some shit I've never seen before. Yes. Every time. And, and even like, I didn't really like old that much, but I like knock at the cabin. And I, I, I usually am not disappointed because I have skepticism along with um, hope. Like, I'm like, this should be good, but it might not be. And that's okay. And, uh, but yeah, this is just, whew. yeah, there are some things that I did like, like you, like I, 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 I did like the idea of the weirdo building up half of his body. I thought that was kind of funny. I love that. I wish they would have done more with him. Like, yeah, totally. They, I, they, I was wondering, like, it, it looked so good. Like it looked yeah. really real. And I was like, so did check this out guy my quads, man. Really do this for this movie? Because it looked, and I tried to find online whether or not he really did it. And I couldn't find it because nobody writes about this movie because everybody hates it. But yeah, uh, yeah I like that. I liked uh, the, the first guild. The guys like smoking and talking about nonsense. And yeah. I like how they tried to come up with the catchphrase and they came up with babies on the half tip. And then later on, when they put up the poster for for <laughs> yeah. the for the party, it's with babies on the half tip on it. I and, don't even uh, know what that means. It doesn't mean anything. And, and they also, like, but they came up with it, and they were high five and like it's the best shit that anyone's well, ever come up with. They try at one point to float blim blam as the uh, as the catchphrase, and then later on, the sister says, uh, "You know, Mister, whatever his name is, Cleveland." As a player, blim blam, she's wearing his shirt or whatever. Like she says it <laughs> later on in the script, which I thought was really funny. I liked her. Um, I, yeah. So I mean, like there there are some pleasures to be had in this film. They're just so buried underneath a thick, thick layer yeah. of you know bullshit and, that it's hard to. And arguably, the best scene, the scene that should have nailed everything home, 
is sandwiched between some of the worst shit you've ever seen. Like Ugh. when he's essentially praying for her to his late family, that should just knock you on your ass. And Paul Giamatti slays that scene, absolutely nails it. But you've been, you just had Serial Boy come in. Yeah. And, and and you're just like I I can't. That's too hard of a whiplash. Like you and I mentioned in Signs, one of the things I loved is while they're still boarding up the house and there's this drama going on, he's stopping to take those tender moments with his children, telling them about when they were born and how much they he. And it's just breaking your heart. There's the thrill of what's going on, but in this you're just like, what the fuck, serial kid? And then they have that moment, and you just can't quite turn back to the movie enough for it to actually affect you it really shows what a tightrope walk those scenes and signs was you know because they could have easily been the same eye rolling weirdness right and instead like they're pulled off and it is it's a strange thing to do in a suspense yeah. movie to take moments of high suspense and have this dialogue instead you know um and and really pulled it off the problem that i had with that scene and it is no fault of the movie because this happened 20 years later but everybody leaning in to touch him as he prayed brought back a certain photograph of a certain president and a whole oh. bunch of religious leaders that it was happened you know and that's all i could think of in that moment and i was just like oh god it's so fucking corny like <laughs> And and you got this guy at the center of it giving like the performance of a lifetime, and you know I, I yeah whatever yeah gross. So <laughs> um, I think we're done with this one. Now we're entering a trilogy of films that I've never watched. I've never seen the happening. I've never I sat down to watch Last Airbender, made it about fifteen minutes, and I, I never even touched After Earth. Me either. Um, never. So we're not alone. I, I, You've seen The Happening? I have seen The Happening. I think I watched it on HBO or something. Um, I will leave my thoughts on that till next week. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you seen Last Airbender? I have not seen Last Airbender at all, nor have okay, I seen good. the cartoon. And, and it's one of those things where like, I've always wanted to go back and watch the cartoon because I love the Dragon Prince. He, it's the same yeah. people on Netflix doing the Dragon Prince, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And so I know that I would love the, the last And it's Airbender got a and huge Korra. reputation. Like, people, it's like this, The Legend of Korra. Yes. People love it. And uh, it, it is, so we'll get there when we get there. Um, but as for us, if you want to get in touch with us uh, on Twitter, we're chronological. Shyamalan Shyamalan <laughs> Shama. you can find me on Twitter at podcast by Jeff you can find Eric at Eric underscore hotter you can also check out his YouTube page Eric hotter um, you can go to gamingnexus.com for all of your gaming review needs and uh, you can also check out my other podcast which is called the movie draft house where Mark and I yell at each other yes we are also chronologically podcast on Facebook there um, you go. So you check out chronologically.net for uh, disappointment. And I think that's it. That is it. We will uh, we'll see you next week for The Happening. Thanks, to y'all. The Happening. Toots. <laughs>